This is Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor. Everybody, if you work with people, everybody that you work with is asking you the question, let me know when it gets to the part about me. And sometimes we hear that and we think, well, those entitled little shining stars in my life, you know, like, let me know when it gets to the part about me. But I don't think it's, it's so much about entitlement as it is about just good business. Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with your host, Bob Fibbs, the champion for a more human connection in retail for over 30 years as a retail doctor. Bob is the authority on brick and mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest luxury brands to independent retailers of all sizes. Hey, thanks for joining me today. It's Bob Bibbs, the Retail Doc. And today my guest is Clint Pulver. He is an Emmy award-winning motivational keynote speaker, author, musician, and workforce expert. He's a professional drummer for 20 years and appeared on America's Got Talent and in feature films with actors like Jack Black and Napoleon Dynamite's John Heater. But that's not enough. Through his work and his research in the undercover millennial, that's what I really want to find out about. He uses that experience to create teachable relationship and business strategy based on trust, service, and support. And his mantra, it's not about being the best in the world. It's about being the best for the world. Welcome, Clint. Thanks, Bob. That was a beautiful introduction. Thank you. Uh, dude, we, we share a common bond, music. And I have, I got to tell you, I've seen your story. And every time I think I start to tear up because... Anyone who is a musician can appreciate it. And I think it's so important. Can you share with us about your experience with Mr. Jensen and how that life-altering moment? Well, it was life-altering, right? I mean, yeah, geez. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was I was the kid that always in school just had a hard time sitting still. I still have a hard time sitting still. I would just sit in class and my right hand would start to tap, my left hand would start to tap. And obviously you, you do that enough and it gets pretty annoying to everybody around you. And I got nicknamed the Twitcher and the Tapper. Um, I got teased a lot in school. And it wasn't even just the kids. Even the teachers would constantly say, hey, you need to sit still. Stop tapping. Sit on your hands. Young man, I need you to hold still. Stop, stop, stop. And it happened again and again and again until one day there was a teacher and his name was Mr. Jensen. He was my fifth grade teacher. And he looked at me as I was tapping in class. And he said, Clint, I need you to, I need you to hold still. And I also need to see you after class you and I are going to have a conversation. And I remember thinking like, this is it that I'm going to get kicked out of school as a 10 year old. Like, this is it. This is the end of the journey for me. And the bell rang class dismissed. Everybody leaves except for me and Mr. Jensen. And he calls me to the back of the room, says, come here, sit down. And I nervously walked up and he said, listen, he said, I, I need you to know you're kind of the kid that's on the list. Like, yeah, I know you get teased. I know you get bullied. All the other teachers, they talk about you. Clint, you tap, you do it a lot. You do it in my class and you do it in everybody else's class. But then he said, but I've watched you though. And he said, it's crazy. He said, you'll take a pen and you'll start writing with your right hand and then you tap with your left hand. And then in the middle of the assignment, you'll switch the pen and you start writing with your left hand and you tap with your right hand. And he looked at me and he said, I, I think you're ambidextrous. I was like, I don't even know what that means. He said, just try this. He said, can you tap your head and rub your belly at the same time? He said, just give it a shot. And I could, I could do it just without thinking about it. And he said, okay, now, now switch it. Can you tap your head and then rub your belly? And, and back and forth, I just, I just innately had this independence with my limbs. And he smiled and he said, yeah, it, it all makes sense. 
And he leaned forward and he looked me right in the eyes and he said, Clint, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. And he reached back in his desk and he opened up the top drawer and he reached inside and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks, my very first pair. And I'll never forget Bob when he put these in my hands and he said, Clint, listen, these are for you. And he said, here's the deal. I just, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just want you to keep them in your hands. And that was 24 years ago. And for 24 years, I've had the opportunity to tour and record all over the world as a professional drummer. Uh, I, I coached for the, the Utah Jazz NBA drum line. I uh, played with Tim McGraw, Carrie Underwood, the Blue Man Group. Uh, my whole college education was paid for with drumsticks in my hands, all because somebody created a moment that allowed me to see further than I, I ever could have on my own. And um, he was the person that looked at me and said, you're not a problem. You're an opportunity. And it changed my whole story. Yeah. I, I just get taken with that. I, was, I had a similar, I won't go into all my, but I was picked on as a kid in a lot of things. And I remember I was ready to quit, told my mom, I'm never going back. And, <clears throat> and she goes, just go back one more day. So I went back and the teacher took me aside. He says, uh, I need to see you. Did you remember those tests you took last fall? I go, no. He goes, um, we're going to put you in a different set of classes starting tomorrow. And the next day, all my classes changed. And I went to music, uh, was one of them. And because I think you're a singer. And, uh, and then two years later, I had a, my conductor, he said, I think you should be a conductor. Would you be the first guy who's conducted at baccalaureate and graduation Glendale high back in 76 before you were even born, my friend. <laughs> and I think about that because the path for us was in so many ways, horrible. And then a door opened. And I think everyone has that, right? Everybody, that moment where it's brief and somebody's belief that, that you can do it. You know, how has that background inspired you? Because it seems that you've taken that message and now want to spread that, right? So, yeah, I, I mean, it, it just it shows it to me in my life, the power of moments. I, I think in our lives, we don't really remember days. We remember moments. And I think great leaders, great moms, dads, friends, spouses, partners, like they get really good at creating moments in, in other people's lives to the point where those people go, I like myself best because I'm with you. And, and I look at that moment and how it changed everything. And it was so small, but little by little, I think over time, those, those efforts add up to be a lot. And it's the moments of connection. I, I believe everybody whether you're in the retail space, you're in the leadership space, you're in the parenting space, whatever it is in your life, everybody, if you work with people, everybody that you work with is asking you the question, let me know when it gets to the part about me. And sometimes we hear that and we think, well, those entitled little shining stars in my life, you know, like, let me know when it gets to the part about me. But I don't think it's, it's so much about entitlement as it is about just good business. Good. I think it's about honesty. Not, to, honesty. not to interrupt you. It's like, that's just, isn't it great that kids could say that instead of just shut up? Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and if you just said that, imagine if somebody just said that in an interview, somebody just yeah. said that in a performance review or uh, on the floor of a retail store and just said, so what is, what about me? You know, we have trouble with, I have online training. And one of the things people say is I have trouble getting them to take the training. It's like, did you connect the dots to what they could learn from it instead of you're going to do it? 
Correct. You know, when we choose to do something is very different than when we are forced to, right? So, you know, yeah. and your work with Undercover Millennial, you, how many people did you interview? So we're now up to 11,000. It just yeah. boggles my mind that you've talked to 11,000 people about work and that they were so honest and willing to tell you. So what are the, some of the things that, I don't know if I'd say surprised you, but um, areas that a lot of people may not recognize, right? Because to your point, you could just say they're all entitled, but I think sure. there's more to it. So let me give a little context to, to the background of how this came to be. I was actually in your neck of the woods, but I was in New York and I was a part of a mastermind group and we're in the hustle and bustle of the city and we're meeting with other business leaders, learning about what they're doing, what's working. And this one gentleman, he owns a sporting goods store in down, downtown Manhattan. And we're talking about his business and how it's amazing and how it's thriving. And he's this older gentleman and he's a little gruff. And I asked him just out of curiosity, I said, do you feel like the way you manage today is the same way you managed employees 20 years ago? And he said, oh, absolutely. He said, nothing's changed. He said, I manage the same way and we get results, kid. I promise you, we get results. And I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> interesting. And I remember, I remember, you know, looking around his store because we're in the store and everybody was my age or younger. So younger employees, millennials, Gen Z. And I just thought to myself, I said, hmm, I wonder if they would say the same thing. I wonder if they would track with you as, as, and have the same story of how grandiose and amazing your business is and that there's no need for adaptation. Right. He felt the need to change how he did strategy. But when it came to how he connected with the younger generation, no need to change. I said, okay. So I thanked him for his time. We had 45 minutes to kill until we needed to be to the next place. I had nothing else to do. I literally looked how I look today. I had a hoodie on, a backwards hat, and I just I had nothing to do. So I walked up to one of the employees out of curiosity and I just said, hey, um, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I just, I'd love to know, uh, what's it like to work here? And the employee kind of got quiet. It started to look around. It felt like an illegal drug exchange. And the employee said, I dude, I, I can't stand it here. Like it, we're all numbers, man. Every one of us. Uh, I don't even think my manager knows my name, to be honest. Wow. And I, I sat there and I thought, huh. And maybe, you know, maybe the kid's having a bad day. And I was like, so wh why, why are you still working here? And he said, oh, I've already applied to three other places. As soon as I get a job, I'm out. And then I went to another person, Bob. And another employee and another and another and another. And out of the 45 minutes, I interviewed six of his team members. Five out of the six of those retail employees in that store would not be working for this guy and his business in less than three and a half months. That was a, that was a mind blowing moment for me because here's the reality. The perception that you have as a leader, whether it's a leader in a family, a leader in a relationship, a leader in a, in a, in a, brick and mortar retail store, whatever it is, that perception versus the reality of the employee's experience or your children's experiences or your friend's experience. Sometimes there's a night and day difference, especially when conflict is a, a topic or things aren't always going amazing. Because the reality is most of the time, they're never going to walk up to you and say, hey, Bob, uh, I think this could help you. Um, every time we win as a team in this store, uh, you take all the credit. And every time we lose as a team, you blame everybody else. Happy Tuesday, Bob. Like, they're not going to tell you that. They're not going to say that. Instead, what do they do? They just leave. They leave or they mentally check out and stay. And so that's what started 
the undercover millennial program. I realized because I call it the undercover millennial because I'm a millennial. That's the generation I was born in. I was young enough where I could go into retail stores. I could go into tech companies. I could go into hospital chains. I could go into clinics. I could go in as someone who was looking for a job and pull it off. And in doing so, I created an environment where people would honestly tell me what they thought of an organization and the leaders within that organization. And so for the last six and a half years now, I have dedicated my life to that and uh, wrote a book that I'll, I'll never do that ever again, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But sharing the research behind what great leaders were doing to create an organization that people never wanted to leave. Well, in that book, put a pin in this to come back uh, when you're driving in the car. His book is I Love It Here, which is a great summarization because, you know, I think we all sell hope, Clint. Yes. You know, I mean, when I say this a lot of times in retail, it's like, you know, people walking into a store at 10 a.m., they're hopeful. These are people who want to get the guy or the girl or they just had a kid or they moved or, you know, they're there. If they're not hopeful, they're at a bar at 10 a.m. So why yeah. do we let our employees walk around with a mental toothache without we just get, well, you know, he's just having a bad day. It's like we don't ha- we don't have that luxury anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. With less people on the floor. We're all dealing with so many more things than what our face is. Right. The the kid who's doing their best and maybe their shirt is wrinkled because they don't have an iron at home or because their mom's got Alzheimer's and they're taking care of. There's a million things, but it is a fine line between being nosy about someone and knowing all the backstory so that you aren't really able to manage them. You're afraid of helping them and leaving them alone. So what's the, what do you think the perfect balance? Yeah. Tell me what perfection is my friend. Tell me what you think, um, you know, how do you navigate that? Right. Yes. In other words, being available, but not, you know, I'm going to fix you now. I've got to give him 500 bucks so he can go and do this, or I've got to give him special. What were some of your thoughts? Yeah. So let's, let's focus on the retail space for a minute. And let's, let's talk about the managers that I saw in the retail space. There are four types of managers always in every retail store, always four types. And I could always tell the effectiveness of that type of manager based off of two variables. Number one was that ability, that's the standards that that manager was able to have. And second, their ability to connect standards and connection. So standards would be like, I need you to show up on time. We need to be profitable. There's job, there's responsibilities and duties of the job. Um, our core mission statement, like those are standards in an organization. The connection piece was realizing that your people have a life outside of work. And that they want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be understood. Okay. So standards and connection. Those are the two variables that we will use as we go through these four different types of managers. For those of you that are listening, I think it would be kind of interesting as I go through this to ask yourself, which one are you? I'm already there. So I'm I'm waiting. I love it. I love it. Okay. So the first, the first manager that we found was the removed manager. This is the individual that was very low on standards, but they were also low on connection. This is the manager that's just burnt out. Like they're just tired. It's like easy come, easy go. Welcome. I don't really care what you did on the weekends. Just do your job. Get out of my way. I just, I don't, I'm removed. I'm removed. So what does that create in the employee experience? It created disengagement. These are the managers that should have, should have stopped managing 20 years ago. Like and probably just, were never taught, right? They were never taught another set of skills. They're probably like, was a great salesperson 20 years ago. Yeah. The only way we can give you more money is you're the manager. That's great. right. 
That's right. I don't yeah. want it. I just want the money. That's right. What's the minimum I can do to do the job? I'm there. Yep. They're in the store, but they're not into the store. Yep. And so, so the second manager, fairly common, is the buddy manager, as we call them. The buddy manager is very low on standards, but high on connection. This is the manager that just wants to be liked by everybody. It's like, come work for our store. You know, we love you. Uh, th- they would rather be liked more than they're respected. So this, this is the manager. They'll go play Xbox on the weekends with the team. And then Monday morning, they're like, hey, you know, we, we, we got to do better, everybody. And everyone's like, dude, I just saved you in Call of Duty on Friday, Fred. Like what? Now you're the manager. So it creates a sense of entitlement. So that would chaos that, right on the floor because you don't know yeah. what the standards are. Correct. And, and, and the manager becomes more of one of the team members than the manager, right? Or the team members become more of the manager than the manager. And so it creates this sense of entitlement of like, nah, Bob's cool. He's my friend. He doesn't care if I show up on time or not. You don't worry about folding the clothes and putting it back in order. Like we'll get to it. Bob doesn't care. Right. You're just, you're just a homie. You're just a friend. The third manager is the controller. This was the manager that was very high on standards, low on connection. This is like the old command and control model of like, put your head down, go to work. Like, don't, don't whine. This is what it is. Smile. You want me to love you in this job? No, no. Be happy. I give you a paycheck tomorrow. This is your sporting goods guy. This is your yeah. first guy. 100%. Yep. Yep. My way or the highway. So high standards, low connection. What did this create in the employee dynamic? Rebellion. Pushback. This is the manager that you're constantly going head to head with every employee. These fear-based tactics, manipulation, do your job, easy come, easy go. You don't want to be here. I'll fire you. The, The list is long and there's plenty that want this job. But number four, Bob, man, this was the magic of the research. And I call them the mentor manager. This was the individual that was very high on standards, but they were equally as high on their ability to connect. We got a job to do. We got to stay profitable. We got to meet the customer's expectations. But I also understand that you're a person to be loved and that you have a life outside of work. And it's my job to become the advocate for you, not just the developer. And what did this create in the employee experience? Respect. They were not always liked at times, but they were respected. And the reason, Bob, that I call them the mentor, not just the manager, not the leader, not the coach, but the mentor. Mentorship is interesting because we found that, that mentorship had to be earned. Like many people in the retail space, like they, we give out titles. You're the supervisor. You're the manager. You're the you're the store manager. You're the floor operator. Whatever we get all these titles, but your people are the ones that decide if you're the mentor. You can't become a mentor manager until the mentee invites you into their heart. And when you became the person that people said, "Yeah, you're the person that's going to connect me to something more," you're not just a boss. You're a mentor. You're an advocate. It changed the game when you became somebody that people voluntarily chose to follow. Mentorship versus management always wins. I was always the number four manager. Always. There you go. I, I have no doubt, Bob. I have no doubt. No, I was. I was when I started out. I was three. I was three because I was. I was a young guy. I mean, I wore a mustache till I was thirty because you couldn't get respect back in the eighties, right? <laughs> and, and so, and then you turn thirty, and you're like, yeah. 
but uh, I had I've had several people who've gone on to do great things. They say I learned everything about what I would do in life was basically through working in retail, and to me that's a great honor because I think retail is what normalizes this and realizes it's about somebody else first and then me, and that's where I think the biggest problem is right now. We talk about. In fact, I was talking to some retailers the other day, and uh, one was saying how I I think I'm just a, a a stop on the line for a lot of my employees. You know, they join and then they're gone in a couple of months. And I go, what are you doing to develop them? Well, you know, we give them paychecks. Like, well, dude, what's your training program? We don't have one. You know, I mean, how hard is it? It's like everything you're saying is exactly why. <laughs> because we don't know what success looks like. We don't know what the guardrails look like. And we sure in the hell don't feel like we belong as anything part of a team. And then, oh, well, we do, you know, we do team events. You're like, yeah, you can't bolt it into it, right? That's that's one of the things I always see when you see the big box guys, you know, the big mucky muck is coming through the store. Who's he talk to? Talk to the manager. Uh, just go talk to someone on the floor like you did, right? Totally. Just go and, and try it. It shouldn't be a mystery, but... I think I think part of that is showing the effort, right? I mean, I'm I couldn't probably get away with somebody telling me, maybe I could put the backward hat on, but you know, someone confiding in me, it sucks to work here. But we gotta try. And more importantly, I think to your point of number four, if that's what we wanna be, then you're gonna have to teach people because in this day and age, this thing is what's teaching everybody and with AI and all the other stuff that we don't need to talk, you don't need original thought and you leave the best of you at the door. And yes. I think that's what you're saying is, how do we find a place for that, that someone can then say, oh, I'm better working here because the way I feel with this woman, this this guy, as my running buddy, not as my boss, but as somebody I'm going to learn from. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think when when I look at the, the the scale of, okay, standards and connection, standards, and the goal is to become high in both. But which one do you start with? Connection. We learn first and foremost that no significant loyalty will ever happen in retail without significant connection. Why? Again, because every employee is asking you the question, let me know in this store, your product, your agenda, let me know when it gets to the part about me. And if we can teach managers and we can develop managers to be able to become something that people voluntarily choose, right? You become the person that goes, Okay, I can connect you to something more because traditional leadership is about standing at the front of the ship. You're at the helm of the ship. And and the goal would be, let's get us from point A to point B to point C. Here's the vision. And this is how we're going to do it. Follow me. Right. Management is all about effectiveness and efficiency. How do we get the boat to move faster through the water? Mentorship is about taking care of people on the ship. That's the difference. And, and, and we looked at why did somebody, why did some teams choose this manager versus the other manager? Well, it's because that manager became the mentor. Yeah, but what did that manager possess that, that, that gave him or her the opportunity to be chosen by people? And we narrowed it down to five C's. Confidence, credibility, competence, candor, and the ability to care. If a manager possessed those five things, so confidence, meaning they were confident in their mindset, they were confident in their communication, confidence exuded trust, credibility was huge. What's your background? Have you ever worked the floor? Do you really know what it's like to do my job? Or do you just sit back and manage inventory in the back and make sure everybody shows up on time? Credibility mattered. Competence was also a key factor. I want a mentor from somebody that's a practitioner, not just a theorist. 
like we know this as musicians. If I if I go to you and I want to learn from you to become a professional drummer, I kind of want to know: Are you gigging on the weekends? Like, do you play, or are you just somebody that knows everything about percussion theory? There's a difference there. So competency mattered. Tander, we saw that great mentors had the ability to create relationships so strong that honesty could exist. Because it's not That's all sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, That's it's not all just, let's connect and I just want to love you. Like, no, we have high standards as well. But it's that bank account principle, right? When a manager understood that every day I'm making deposits with my people. And that allows me at times to make the withdrawals. The problem exists is when a manager tries to make so many withdrawals every day with a person and they've made no deposits of connection, no deposits of trust. So the bank account's empty. So you can't have candid conversations. That's where we hit, we, we start butting heads. That's when you become this rebellious type of toxic culture that sometimes can exist in a retail space a lot. And then that fifth C is the ability to just give a darn, like to care, really care. When people felt like they were advocated for, not just being developed, it mattered. Those five C's, if you can master that and become that where people go, yeah, you're the person that's going to connect me to something more. I experience myself best when I'm with you. I love that. You win. Unfortunately, I just flashed on when I was getting my conducting a degree and I had to teach student teaching and I walked into student teaching and 30 teenage boys trying to play stairway to heaven on two guitars was just like, they're not a gym on this planet for me to have this job. But I remembered feeling like I would see through me because I'm not a guitar player. So I'd learn it the night before here, do this. Why don't you play for us? Uh, I don't want to overshadow your work, you know, and I had standardized tests that so we knew that they got what they were supposed to learn. But competence to me and candor uh, really stick out because I always say, if you're going to be a retail store, you got to be able to make the first and the best sale of the day. It's like, holy crap, really? It's like, well, who else are they going to learn from? Yeah. And those uncomfortable conversations really let the team know there's an even playing field. Right. Yes. I can't say, well, you know, Jane, Jane's, Jane's great. She's the higher earner. So she gets to go home today. Well, why? Well, because, you know, she's the high earner. Well, what about this person? Well, no, that's all that matters. And then you keep having this, somebody gets special deals. And I think that's really tough. We're going to take a little break here. Uh, you recently gave a speech at NASA Space Center, and I want to hear about it. But we're going to take a quick break after this word about SalesRx online retail sales training. Hey, it's Bob again. I'm not only your host, but also the founder of the SalesRx online retail sales training program. How many sales that should have been yours walked out your front doors today? You know, with shoppers being more discerning about where and when they shop, you need to convert more lookers to buyers. And SalesRx is the perfect solution to make training memorable. It's bite-sized, it can fit easily into your schedules. Don't tell me you don't have time to train. If you can give them time to take a break, you have time for them to train. Now the training builds from some of the quickest ways to engage shoppers to the most advanced. Everything is planned so you can implement your sales training program with a click of a button. And there's a reason we're on four continents training thousands because SalesRx is scalable. Everybody learns the same new skills that will grow your sales. In fact, 83% of users report a double-digit increase in their sales within six months. Wouldn't you like that to be your story? Visit SalesRx to learn more and set up a call with me to see how we can help. That's S-A-L-E-S-R-X.com. Now back to the broadcast.
All right, we are back with Clint Pulver and the amazing drummer, the amazing motivational speaker and insight to retail person extraordinaire. And you were invited to speak at NASA Space Center on the topic of leadership. So I'm curious in a world where it's all about SpaceX and all of this, um, what did you learn? Because as a little boy, to me, NASA was the hero in the 60s and we're in the middle of all the unrest in America and every week, there was a Life magazine that came with pictures of space and the dreaming of all the young boys. It was one place we could focus on. I bet the people you met probably worked there because of that, right? Because Absolutely. that was their experience. Absolutely. I, so my background is in aviation. Uh, I was a, a pilot and helicopter pilot. And that, that was like my first love. And I was a kid that had every toy helicopter hanging from my my ceiling from you could buy from Toys R Us. I just loved it. And then I had an eye disease that kind of ended that whole career path for me. And I, I wasn't able to fly professionally. So my whole life changed. But the love of aviation and flight and exploration that aviation just brings, it's just part of the, the pedigree of flight. I just, there's nothing that stirs my soul more. And so to be invited to go and present my research, my training and perform to some of the most brilliant humans on the face of this planet, I believe, and to all of the astronauts and to be just welcomed in and into a place where they don't really bring speakers into. They don't really bring outside side people in. If they do, they'll bring a former astronaut in or a former engineer or something like, I'm just uh, a kid from Heber City, Utah, that that's, you know, nothing truly that special, but to, to come in and, and to do that was just, a moment I'll never forget. It was, um, it was just an honor. It really was. And and you see what they're doing and, and, and the energy and the culture and the drive to get back to the moon. I mean, I sat in the, in the Houston, Houston mission control center with an astronaut that had been to space four different times. And we sat in that room with the lights dimmed and he just told me about everything that was going on. And like it was just, it was unreal. It was the most uh, epic thing. And to think that right now they're doing that. They're getting ready to go back. And then we sat in the current and, and working mission control as, as four astronauts were out doing a spacewalk on the space station. And like, it, it's just, it was, it was an incredible experience. And I got to witness and see things that, uh, I don't think very many people get to see, and it was just a, a life-changing moment for me. See, I think that's the thing, musicians, we are in this world, because when you're in a performance, you're doing your work, like with me with a choir or orchestra, you're doing your work, you're communicating with them, it's going great. And then you're, we got that connection, and then you know that they're connecting that audience, and that audience got this connection, and then that audience is giving it back to you, and you realize you're in this smoke of a world that nobody else sees. You're here. Yes, But you're also not here. You're yeah. seeing that you're here, right? It's almost like you're watching the sun set and you're yeah. only here. You're the only one witnessing because you're right there. That's what yeah. I hear as you're describing that. I totally get it because yeah. it's music. It's the there same was, thing. Yeah, there was a moment, Bob, as I was actually playing the drums at NASA and we do this drumline experience and everything is was just perfect. And I completely had an outer body moment where I just said, look at what is happening. Like this is crazy. Like as my hands and feet are moving a million miles an hour and I just looked around and I was just 
on cloud nine. It was unforgettable. And somewhere out there, Mr. Jensen was saying, you got it, kid. Yeah, absolutely. I, absolutely. I love it, my friend. Well, listen, you've created your own masterclass program recently. And what do you hope a learner gets from taking it? Is it for bosses? Is it for, you know, who who is it for? And and what is the what is the reason they should be looking at taking it? Because let's face it, if you've been with me now, we've been on this for 40 minutes. It feels like it's only been five minutes. And I'm, I know we have to cut off because he's probably got somewhere phenomenal to go. But tell us about your masterclass program, my friend. Yeah, thanks for asking, Bob. Um, my biggest pet peeve as a speaker is I go in, I do the show, do the presentation. Everybody's ecstatic. Everybody's learning a lot of things. Ideas are generated. And then they go home. And a week goes by, two weeks go by, life sets in, stresses, the routine, the hustle and bustle, everything. And it, and it just, you can very quickly lose that momentum. And so I created a 52 video masterclass series, which basically took my book and my research and we videofied the book into small micro-sized learning videos. No, Each video is no longer than six to seven minutes long. And they are highly produced, very excellent quality. It's not just a talking head. It's a reenactment of these stories of what great managers were doing to create better stories at work for their employees. And the hope was for 52 videos, so 52 weeks in a year, right? That's why we did 52. So that one video a week, everybody that that gets and and, and takes this course is going to get one idea. One, 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 one opportunity to, to increase connection, one idea on how to create a sense of ownership in your retail store, uh, one, one opportunity to elevate engagement. And again, done in a very engaging and exciting way, but digestible. It's simple. It's easy to do. And then we created curriculum with a workbook that goes along with the masterclass. And we titled the workbook. Uh, it's, it's called I Love It Here Workbook, but the framework was one-to-one. I feel like the best connections are always made one-to-one, one-to-one. And so it's one big idea, uh, two pieces of research from, from my work as the undercover millennial, and then one moment to master. And we have now, we've got this out to 27 different organizations. Uh, we just launched it last month and it is, uh, it's taken off and it has been so amazing to hear how the organizations are creating the discussion consistently around employee retention and and around creating a workplace that people want to be there. They want to choose it. They want to be in a place where they don't just survive in the retail space, but they actually thrive. And so it's been a, it's been a lot of work. It took me two years to create. I'll never do it again. Uh, but I'm really glad that we never say never You're You're a guy who's always innovating my friend. Uh, And I and I love that that whole idea about how do we go through and keep that discussion because uh, I think it is easy for us to say, well, you know, you're just born that way. You aren't. You know, retail was a way when when I started, you had two choices back in the old days, prehistoric before you were born. So you either used your body, you're going to go and you're going to be a laborer of some type. You're going to dig something. You're going to prune something. You're going to make something. You yep. can do something that way, or you can work retail because neither one needs a lot of skill, right? And to your point, back when that sporting guy started, that's what you could do because it was all about product. Well, yes. nowadays, you know, an 18 year old could be doing Uber at night or DoorDash and yes. checking it out. So the yes. the challenge is that we are we are not the only place. And in fact, a lot of people still look down at retail or service industry. And yet, if you look at almost any CEO, 
you go back to any CEO and you say, you know, what do you think where you learned your job the most? And they will always come back to something about either hospitality, restaurant, or retail. Something right. that said someone else is more important. So as we come to the end of our time here, I only have a couple more questions for you, my friend. But, you know, uh, you and I are fairly driven individuals, and I think we want to make the world a better place. I th think we can change the world by the people working in shopping and retail. That's my uh, mantra. And you obviously have a similar, broader idea of how do we have human connections. But not everybody listening today feels as empowered as we do. <laughs> and it could be uh, somebody at the C-level. This could be a manager. It could be an owner. They yeah. they bought this business. They made it through covid and now, you know, recession and inflation, it's hard to get employees and I'll just do it myself. And, and the same thing, there's people who the known, I hate it here, is somewhat easier than, well, I don't know if I want to go out and get, it might be worse, mm -hmm. right? So what does it take for somebody that might be more unfulfilled in their thinking to make that switch? Because I think a lot of it has to start internally, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're, you're fair to ask yourself the question of, do you do you really want to be here, right? You still hold the pen and you have a story that you can continue to write. And if that story is outside of retail, that's okay. Let me, let me be the person to say, that's okay. And sometimes we keep banging our head against the wall, hoping that something's going to change and that one day we're going to just enjoy managing employees that never listen and, and dealing with the, the revolving door of turnover and all of the, all of this, the hard stuff in, in retail. And if that doesn't have a sense of fulfillment anymore, even if the challenge of that is not something that adds some spice and passion into your life, if you feel like you're not able to provide in a way that's sufficient for you, then go go write a story somewhere else. Um, and I, I think that's that's a good thing to say. That's a good thing to think about. And I, I've seen it time and time again, people that should have stopped and left this industry years ago. You still hold the pen. So you owe it to yourself to go and write a story in a place that's going to allow you to live, not just exist. Live. Yeah. That's a great point. Because I, I remember I quit a job after 14 years and I just said, what Boston said, what's a company's greatest asset? I go, it's employees. He goes, wrong. It's like, wrong. And so it goes around the room and finally he says, it's customers. And I walked down to his office. I said, the only way we ever got here was with what we did with our employees. Customer can go anywhere. I'm out in two weeks. And then it was yep. like, what are you going to do now? It's like, I don't know. And I went to a Tony Robbins seminar and he said, you better come up with a brand nobody else can do. Got the retail doctor, formed it, and then figured out the rest of it. But to your point, at some point you say, this hurts enough. It, now it hurts enough, right? Now it hurts enough. I got the bruise. I'm willing to say, this is hurting. Yep. Move on. And it doesn't have to be bad, as clearly as the stories that you have in your book as well, my friend. Well, you've been so generous with your time today, Clint. Is there anything you'd want that I haven't asked you that you would like to share with people today? I mean, if you aren't all high on this conversation today, you are in desperate need of a makeover of your attitude because the possibilities that Clint brings in this conversation are huge. And the implications are huge that we want to work to number four, even if you're a number one or two or three manager, the blueprint is out there. So anything else you can add before I ask you my final question, my friend? Yeah, I would just say that that everybody that's listening, you're, you're doing better than you think you are. I think sometimes we can, we can quickly jump to the world of beating ourselves up. We're not good enough. All of the to-dos, all of the things that are not in place that should be, all of the things that are not perfect, just as a reminder, you're doing better than you than you think you are. 
And again, it's it's not about being the best manager in retail. It's about being the best the best manager for retail. And and we do that little by little. And today, if you kind of can get to the point and say, I'm going to try to do a little bit better and I, I'm doing better than I think I am. And you accentuate the positive and you look back on the things that you have accomplished and you go, there's something there. Take pride in that. And tomorrow's a new day and strive to just be a little bit better for somebody else. I think that's what lights the fire of significance and passion and keeps us moving forward, especially in a leadership position in the the rugged and hustle and bustle and wild world of retail. Yeah. And love the and love the passion that you bring to somebody else. That's what's going to draw you forward as well. Well, uh, I've appreciated our time together, and uh, there's so, so many resources you'll be able to see on this episode of how you can find out more about Clint and his programs and everything. So, uh, tell me something good about retail, Clint. I think the best part about retail is the experiences that it creates, uh, the moments it creates where somebody went above and beyond and they created an opportunity where people, because they were in your store, they walk out of there liking themselves best. The coolest part about the job and leadership in retail is that it matters. The hardest part is that it matters every day. And I think when good managers and good employees every day work to create those experiences where people, when they walk in, they go, you know, I I experienced myself. I like myself best because I'm here but I also like you best because I'm here with you. And I think if we do that consistently and we remember that that's really the role of what we do, that's the reason why people continue to keep walking back into the store instead of clicking on Amazon. They want that moment. They want that experience. And I'll never forget those moments I've had in the retail space. And it truly is the reason why I still love and walk into the brands that I do uh, to work and buy and, and, and do business with. Excellent, my friend. And we could take that to our personal lives and our business lives and the whole idea, right? That when we feel we matter, we're going to show up as our best selves. Well, you've been gracious to be with me here today and I appreciate it, sir. And I can hardly wait to see where you're going to be next, my friend. Thanks, Bob. It's a pleasure to know you and I'm grateful for your friendship. Thanks, Clint. You've been listening to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doctor. As a listener, you can receive free information and guides when you visit retaildoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. Thanks for being with us. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. To virtually bring Bob to all of your crew and associates, check out www.salesrx.com.